Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Super Plumber Brothers, a weekly podcast where we'll be examining the game Super Mario All-Stars. As always, I'm Anthony Cortez, and I'm joined by... This is Luke. And this is Ben. This week, we're midway through our play of Super Mario Sunshine. Before we give our thoughts and reviews, uh, as always, we're going to give a short bit of Mario history. This week, Luke is actually going to take us through his takes on Super Mario gimmicks. So go ahead, Luke. Yeah, so I wanted to talk uh, just a little bit about uh, Mario Sunshine and just kind of the time that it comes at for Nintendo and some of the things they were doing around that. So uh, Nintendo's had a long tradition of marketing marketing entries in their series with a unique central design element or mechanic. Although always specific to that entry, many of these ideas can be grouped into distinct tropes that have persisted between hardware generations. So Light World and Dark World mechanics can be seen in The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past and Metroid Prime 2, among others. Material-based designs date back as far as Paper Mario and continue today in the likes of Yoshi's Woolly World. Most pertinent to Super Mario Sunshine, though, is Nintendo's tradition of designing and marketing a game around a central object of play. In this case, it's Mario's water pack, the flood that he wears on his back. 1998's The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time was perhaps the first massive entry of one of Nintendo's flagship series that featured a chiefly object-driven design. Link's Ocarina was a key narrative element in the game, and it expanded your ability to interact with the world as the game progressed. Subsequent entries in the Zelda series explored other objects of play. The Minish Cap, which was released on the Game Boy Advance, takes a simple gameplay design of Link being able to shrink and grow, and it makes the Minish Cap the focus of that design. The Wind Waker and the Oracle of Ages and Seasons games continued to riff on this theme of instrument-focused designs in Zelda games, and they were released within a couple years of Super Mario Sunshine. In the Mario universe, the first foray into this object-oriented design and marketing was a game that featured Luigi as the main character called Luigi's Mansion, which released alongside the GameCube in 2001. Early on in Luigi's Mansion, a character is is introduced named Professor E. Gadd. Uh, EGAD invented a Ghostbusters-esque device called the Poltergust 3000 that Luigi uses to suck up booze throughout the adventure. Uh, I wanted to actually figure out more about this character, uh, Professor EGAD. I I tried to scour the internet for old interviews, and I just never found any insight from the developers on what they were thinking when they created this guy. I find this character fascinating. Um, A year later, in Super Mario Sunshine, Mario's given the flood, and although we never meet him, we're told that it was also invented by this Professor EGAD. And midway through the game, Baby Bowser also reveals that the professor made his graffiti pen as well. Uh, Professor EGAD is seemingly introduced as this in-world justification or representation for the actual designers and engineers working on Nintendo. It's kind of this weird meta uh, um, explanation of of all the gimmicks that Mario's encountering in this world. He also showed up in the Mario and Luigi series later on and had all these additional devices that would kind of facilitate the gimmicks of those universes as well. 
So the Super Mario series has generally up to this point put a focus on items or objects that Mario could attain to change his play state. In Super Mario Brothers, he could pick up a fire flower that would allow him to throw fireballs. In Super Mario World, he could find a feather power-up that allowed him to fly. Super Mario Sunshine takes a tried-and-true Super Mario design formula, the ability to pick up power-ups that change Mario's ability, and it mediates that design through this object of play, the Flood. Beyond the marketing and design aspects of these object-oriented gimmicks, uh, Nintendo has always incorporated designs that closely resemble the look and the feeling of the controller itself. So the most obvious manifestation of this is in the Wii. You can also think the DS had lots of games where they would talk about like a wand or something that was akin to the stylus you were using. But even as early as Super Mario 64, which we were just recently playing, the C buttons are, are like the camera buttons, and they're the same color as Lakitu, and there's kind of this... Uh, on controller representation of this character. So, and you can also see this in games like Breath of the Wild recently. They have the Sheikah Slate, which closely resembles the Wii U's tablet, which is what that game was initially designed for. Um, Yoshiaki Koizumi was one of the producers and directors of Super Mario Sunshine, and he said in an interview that part of the inspiration for Mario's water pistol, the Flood, was the stiff feeling of the GameCube's shoulder buttons that reminded him of the uh, of a water pistol that he used when he was a kid. So obviously that tactile element is last, lost a little bit when we're playing on the Switch, but it's an important important component of the feeling of the game at the time and if you ever played Super Mario Sunshine on a GameCube controller there is a very distinct feeling to using that shoulder button with the flood. So over time these heavily marketed objects of play have diminished in significance for Nintendo. The trope is still present in Mario's Cap and Super Mario Odyssey or the Sheikah Slate like I said for The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild but increasingly Nintendo's flagship titles use other means of distinguishing their entries between one another. Super Mario Sunshine released in 2002 when this was approach, approach was at its prime so this is a very classic Nintendo game to me for that reason because it really embodies their tendency to do things like this in their marketing and their designs. And I will open up to you guys if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, I have a thought. That was a fantastic history. Thank you. <laughs> I do have one little quibble, though. Yeah, go for uh, it. A couple of the games that you cited actually weren't developed by Nintendo, merely licensed. Oh, sure. Uh, for example, when you're talking about the Light and Dark World parody that was developed uh, in, in Metroid Prime 2, that Ret was developed Retro by Studios, Retro Studios, yeah. and and the the Oracle uh, Zelda games were developed by Capcom along with Minish Cap. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that those uh, were developed by Capcom. Not quite handing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, Capcom has made some of the finer uh, handheld Zelda games since Nintendo stopped making them. Actually, all of the good handheld. Zelda games since Nintendo stopped making them. They were developed not quite hand in glove with Nintendo. I mean, Nintendo obviously had a lot of control over their universe. That's one of the things that they uh, cling on to really, really tightly is, uh, you know, universe control, which uh, as a side note is why the Paper Mario games, like the later entries after like Thousand Year Door, tend to feel a little duller uh, because the studio that developed the Paper Mario series was disallowed from creating any new named characters because you cannot, as an outside studio, you cannot point blank, full stop, develop a new named character in the Mario universe as an outside studio. So that's why they all, all the, all the characters turned into just generic toads, which yeah. is a little dull, but 
mm-hmm. you know, it's also nice to keep control over your universe because Mario is a weird fucking universe. So anyway, that's my ramble. Yeah, I think that, and your point is well taken specifically about, I didn't know that Capcom developed those games, but I know Retro Studios obviously develops Metroid Prime, but I think that it still applies. And the reason that I think that it does is because even in that interview I was reading with Koizumi, the producer-director of uh, Super Mario Sunshine, he specifically talks about getting ready to do this pitch for this Mario game that he's envisioning. And so I think it's significant that that's the pitch that Nintendo accepted. The fact that, you came to me with this weird water pistol idea, this this specific kind of twist on the formula. I think that's part of what is important to them and which pitches they'll accept. So I imagine Retro Studios having this, this pitch of like, this is what we're going to do with Metroid Prime 2. There's going to be a light world and a dark world, and Nintendo's like, I like that one. <laughs> oh, very much. No, I completely agree with you, especially considering that, I mean, even in the original Super Mario Brothers there was that whole parody of light and dark, you know, above ground and below ground, and they had totally different feels. You know, above uh, above ground was all about jumping and bouncing and platforming, and below ground was all about uh, staying alive. It was really, there were really survival levels more than there were platforming levels. And that's very much uh, a, a through line in Nintendo's franchises since forever. I mean, I mean you're absolutely right. Yeah, so... Going back to the idea of um, gimmicks within Nintendo, gimmicks within Mario, um, I actually think, I I don't know if I would say they're not on their way out. I've actually uh, still playing um, uh, Mario the Origami King, which uses these giant hands that (laughs) unfold from Mario. And you can use the uh, Switch controls you know their their ob- their uh, motion uh, sensors to grab things um, on the TV or whatever you're you're playing on. Um, so I I and then of course it's there's Odyssey. Um, I I like uh, what they do with them. I I think you know as a as a kid it reminds me of uh, Banjo Kazooie. Um, yeah. which kind of, you know, Banjo and, and Kazooie, you know, they change into these different um, monsters and they change into these different shapes. And so, you know, I think with, um, you know, Nintendo adding these gimmicks uh, and, and yeah. it, it adds just really, uh, you know, it enhances the gameplay. I, I don't think it ever detracts from it. And I think that's something that they do really well um in in the series and i and i'm liking the the flood um from last week i wasn't in control of the flood but now i feel like i am and uh you know it adds another dimension to the mario game itself you know because it's mastering a new tool it's capitalizing on all the old buttons from the original super mario 64 but it's adding this new tool to complete the game so i think they've they've you know they did a good job in sunshine and they do a good job throughout uh, Mario with integrating the gimmick or a cap or an item, uh, an object of play, as you said, to um, enhance. And it never detracts the gameplay, I don't think. Yeah, I agree, Anthony. I I kind of wrestled with whether to use the word gimmick because it's often used so derisively. But I, I view it more neutrally. Like, it's their kind of marketing and design twist. And people will talk, and we even spoke about this a little bit with Super Mario RPG, where it's like, this is a marketing thing. And, you know, marketing can be viewed pretty cynically. On the other hand, on some level, 
a market marketing kind of ties into the design in the sense that a designer wants you to look at something and want to engage with it, right? Like they they don't want systems that you feel dispassionate about. So I I I do think that there are times where sometimes the quote unquote gimmick doesn't work amazingly well. I I think of Super Mario 3D Land. I think I think it was called for the 3DS um, that tried to do a lot mm-hmm. of puzzles with the 3D. I don't think those were exceptionally well uh, executed. But I do think in the mainline Mario games, uh, I I think that generally that they've landed pretty well. And I think. I don't use the term gimmick derisively. I use it kind of neutrally. Like sometimes it's, you just have to analyze how they're executing on the promise of that idea. And I agree that they do a really great job with the flood. Well, I think just to, just to go back to my comment, now that I'm thinking about what I said and what you're saying, you know, something that, that it loses its luster really fast is like the gimmick in borderlands of just, collecting a fuck ton of guns right Mm -hmm. and you know the gun loses its luster after five seconds and that's why there's like a thousand guns in the in the uh game in the games right but that's the whole gimmick you heathen (laughs) in in the game is is collecting guns and shooting guns that's right you want those um, green arrows to appear every time you kill a uh I don't know what do you kill in Borderlands? Everything. It's like a Every sk- time you kill a sk- everything. I feel like there was like a skag something. Right, that sounds familiar. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what the big that's what the weird dogs are. Skags. That's right. Yeah. It's actually been a really long time since I played Borderlands. Same here. Because right. the gimmick, fun, the gimmick a, wore it, pretty pretty thin. Right, like it's a, it's a fun shooter if you disassociate. But if we're looking at like what each gun does and how you use it, um, and you could say the same thing about um, uh, uh. Breath of the Wild, you know, how there's like a shitload of swords that break yeah. and you're collecting them and you're like, it never... Oh, you don't, know, get me, don't get me started on Breath of the Wild because I will make this whole podcast about <laughs> why yeah. Breath of the Wild is a bad game that is well, beautiful well, we gotta, and fun to play. Well, if we're doing the compare and contrast is that they're using these caps or these these floods or whatever, even Luigi's Mansion, and it's just one thing and they're using it um, as, a, as a tool to get you where you want to go. They're not using it for this throwaway fun, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, it's fine for a casual game, but if we're talking about like, why was it intended? Why was it made? Why was it designed? Um, you know, you mentioned number one, marketing, but if you're gonna do it, then do it well. And I and I think with most Mario games, like I'm saying, you know, they think about the design of the, of the tool versus uh, a, th- a cheap throwaway item. So I think that's why they work. Yeah, uh, that's one of Nintendo's major design. I'm sorry, major design philosophies is that they come up with uh, the core gameplay mechanic before they come up with a game. Like Mario's movement in Mario 64, they didn't have a game. They just wanted it to be fun to make Mario walk around, and then they built a world that was fun to walk around in. With the flood, they made the flood uh, a fun tool to use. Some people disagree. I don't. I really like the flood. And then they built a game around that. Uh, with Ocarina of Time, uh, they made music and having this object, this ocarina, this instrument, a uh, core component of the game. And they continue that, you know, throughout the Zelda series with with the masks and Majora's Mask and, uh, well, the fucking entire world in Breath of the Wild. So I, I agree with you, Luke, that calling them gimmicks is... Uh, unjustly derogatory because 
at their core, they are games and games need to be mm-hmm. fun to play before they're anything else. And yeah. the fact that Nintendo takes that so seriously and makes that one of their core design philosophies is actually pretty incredible. It's probably the reason that they are, you know, their own company that has been this incredible juggernaut. You know, there's there's Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo. And Nintendo doesn't buy studios. They don't I mean, hardly outsource work. And they are their own really unique entity and and it's probably because they focus so hard on that particular design philosophy so yeah gimmick is not uh it's not an insult when you're talking about nintendo sometimes it doesn't work (laughs) but yeah yeah i agree but they do they really do good gimmicks to the point that you made earlier while i was reading the interview with uh, hideki kono who is the uh, director of luigi's mansion um, he made a, I was really trying to mine for information on this Professor Egad character with just because he's so strange and he, he's su- it's such a specific <laughs> moment for me in the Mario universe when they introduce this character. Um, but, uh, I just, I, the, the only thing I found him, him say is during an interview, the interviewer said something like, Oh, how about that Egad character? He's weird. And Kono, he's, he's like clearly like a hard person to interview. Like he doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> and he just says something <laughs> like, yeah, we came up with him at the same time that we were coming up with like the systems design. And that's all he gave the interviewer is just this <laughs> terse little sentence where I'm like, oh, I want you to talk about that more. But like in my heart, I want to believe that they were just like, wait, how, where is this? Where does this vacuum come from? We need to explain this shit somehow. And they just came up. What is the lore of the vacuum? Yeah, exactly. So this character just becomes like them inserting their will into the Mario universe of like, this is for now because this guy's here, we can do this now, you know? Right. It's sort of like uh, it's sort of like Doc Brown in Back to the Future. How yeah. exactly is time travel possible? Shut up, it's a DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, is there any last words on... Uh... Nintendo gimmicks, Nintendo objects of play? Uh, one, and I'm going to proselytize. I have a platform right now. There should be no weapon degradation system in Breath of the Wild. All right. He got it out. He got it out. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so as you uh, may have recalled, last week we talked about uh, the, the plot of Super Mario Sunshine. Um, it's very weird. Um, the opening two levels, and uh, that's basically it. So this week, we slid, sword, and squirted into three new levels. Ew. Gelato Beach, Peanut Park, and Serena Beach. Unlocked Yoshi and discovered more about the evil Mario and the identity of the plot to kidnap Princess Peach. The real culprit we learned this week behind the graffiti was no, none other than Baby Bowser, a reoccurring character in the Mario franchise and one of Bowser's children. His motivations were as simple as Mario being a liar and Peach being his mother. Peach seems to even question herself as to being Baby Bowser's mother, and so the plot thickens. We also get more time with evil Mario. So what did you all think about the story this week? so fucking weird (laughs) it's just so unbelievably like how many times is baby bowser gonna say mama peach so weird um 
Wait, wait, wait. I'm your mama? (laughs) Mama? Yes. Yeah, I was. I what? <laughs> in the in the interview, I was reading with the producers. They were like, "If we hadn't put cutscenes in there, they would have thought that console can't do cutscenes." And I'm like, "No, now they just think Nintendo can't do them <laughs> because like this shit is so weird." <laughs> like, um, I I don't have much more to add hey, than that other, other than just like. He jumps out. You're like, oh, I think this is, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this might be the first introduction of Baby, Baby Bowser. I don't know that he existed before this, at least not as this no, rendition he, of the character. I I don't think he existed in a mainline Mario game, but I he think he might have existed in, Yoshi's in story. Yeah. Yeah, and, that makes sense. Yeah, so okay. that's when we first meet him, I'm pretty sure. Um, I didn't play the Yoshi's what was it? Yoshi's World. That might he might be in it. I Super need to Mario World on that, too. but he's definitely yeah. in Yoshi's Story. Okay. Um. So, uh. Yeah. We we see him. We and he talks in Yoshi's Story. It's been such a long. It's been twenty years since I played the game, so. Okay. I do not remember that, but you know, I I I just think the weirdest thing is like Peach is questioning herself. It's she's, she's like, am I am I am. Maybe, maybe I am. Yeah. Maybe I am your mother. Yeah. Which like is just like, like, are you? I gotta feel like you would remember that delivery. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, and geez. my question to you all, and and this is this confused me, is Shadow Mario, baby Bowser? Oh yes, quite explicitly. Okay, that happened right, and then he goes back to being Shadow Mario, as if that really didn't happen. Uh, that's actually kind of a, a Shigeru Miyamoto thing in that uh, since you can do the levels sort of in any order and the story is not even secondary, it's more like tertiary to playing the game, uh, they wanted to keep Shadow Mario Shadow Mario for so long because, first of all, they already had all the animations for Mario. So that's some time saved. But also Baby Bowser, they didn't want you to feel like you were beating up a child. You don't beat him up though. You mm. squirt him. I don't know if I buy that argument. <laughs> I would. Sh- I would shoot. Him <laughs> yeah, shot but with a every squirt time gun. you squirt, every time you squirt anything, it either dies or it makes a pain sound effect. So I think they really didn't want. They didn't want to. They didn't want to make it seem like Mario was like picking on a kid, even if it's Bowser's kid. Yeah, I. Really? I, I feel in other games we do that, but I. I think I, I agree with the argument that they keep the shadow design because it's cool. I'm gonna go with that. It's very cool. The well, effect it, well, is really and, cool. And his his baby Bowser's motivation we learn is to frame Mario because his dad tells him that Mario doesn't fight fair. <laughs> so he's right. So he so fights not strange. fair. Yeah. This sounds like one of Trump's children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this definitely sounds like That's what right. I hear every single day when I wake up. I. It's funny that you say that because now I will forever see baby Bowser and call him Don Jr. Yeah, <laughs> those photos of Hunter in the tub are actually okay. Don uh, Don Junior <laughs> wearing a mask. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> okay, so if there isn't anything more to be said, because there really isn't, we'll jump right into the reviews of uh, three um, uh, levels this week. So uh, the first one that we get to experience, or the first one. Um, so our third level in this game is Gelato Beach. 
Uh, Gelato Beach is kind of this, you know, island, this Caribbean island beach. Um, it's not descript, but it has a ton of great shines. Um, there was, for me personally, there wasn't a shine in this level that I didn't enjoy collecting. I think the Sandbird. improved Sandbird Oh, that's was one really of my. That's fun. maybe my favorite one. I love that one. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. so well, you, we'll get to so that you, then. So there's a, you know, there's racing. There's this giant sandbird, which Icon actually repeats in the game. You start noticing it everywhere. Uh, you fight um, the what's the caterpillar's name? Wiggler. I'm gonna say caterpillar. No, it's it's, yeah, it's, right. it's Wiggler. Wiggler yeah. <laughs> yeah, Wiggler. Wiggler, also known as caterpillar. Um, which uh, is wait, a, whoa, whoa, whoa! Huge... Caterpillar is his father's name. Was a huge improvement on small big worlds uh, Wiggler yes, design. I agree. It, it was, we, Luke, you had that complaint, mm-hmm. and this was just phenomenal. The eight red coins was eh, but at the same time, I found it very relaxing. So in general, yes. I found this this level to be just enormous amounts of fun. Oh um, yeah, I, I agree. What did you all think about this level? Yeah, um, I, I I I agree. I don't. It's it's not the one that I was the most enthused with all of the shines, but I do think it's a very solid level. Totally agree. Wiggler boss fully redeems the Mario sixty four Wiggler. Um, I love how he's introduced a few missions in. So this is actually a theme that I'm going to be talking about, and I'll probably refer to in my uh, in my closing thoughts. Um, but. But what they do that's so smart is in the first couple of missions, you're just kind of exploring this space, and it's really fun area to go around, and you find these little plants, and you're like, oh, what happens when I spray this? And then this thing explodes, and you're like, whoa, that was crazy. <laughs> Why would they ever do that? Oh, well. <laughs> and um, But they're just oh, well. fun. To, they're <laughs> fun to, it, it just feels meaningless but fun, you know? But then they introduce it early, and you can just kind of play around with it. And then by the time you're fighting the Wiggler, you you realize, like, oh, th- those things are on the ground. I can blow those up. So I think that's a really excellent design that allows you to kind of have the aha moment yourself. Um, and it leverages knowledge that they allowed you to discover independently earlier. So I, I love that design. I think that was super well executed. Um Oh, uh, this was the first level where I was like, fuck it on the 100 coin challenges officially. Um, I did it on the first two levels. And then on this one, I noticed that they were changing the coin arrangements every level uh, on every mission. And I tried a couple of times in both missions. There were just not enough coins for me to get it. So I was like, I'm not going to try and find the mission that has enough coins. That's stupid. So uh, I stopped trying to get the 100 (laughs) coins as of this one. But... Still trying to do as many of the blue coin challenges as I can because I find those really fun. Uh, I loved the sandbird. It's very challenging, and the blue coins on the clouds were so tantalizing, and uh, they were the result of many of my deaths. I love it when the sandbird rotates. That's an excellent and challenging use of the flood where it's like this is a difficult level, and you really need to master like the timing of hovering so that you can land on it. And I think that's their programmers bragging that they can have this flexing three-dimensional object that you can convincingly jump around on because that would be really really hard to program um it's actually holds up well like i thought it was objectively beautiful just watching it like when you if you zoom out the camera or when it goes on its side and you're you're balancing on the on the bird itself i was like this is just remarkable and you're just sweating the whole time i lost 15 lives on the bird Uh, that's uh, probably it's a challenge 
So I, I actually disagree because I find the Sandbird to be uh, what I like to call in games, especially mission-based games, a mono-challenge in that the whole level is can you survive the Sandbird turning on its side and then back? But they make oh, you do yeah. so much work to get back to that challenge. Like if you fail, there's no indication that it's coming the first time you do it. Uh, I mean, the safest place that it seems to be is somewhere in the middle of it or on one of its wings because there's so much space around you and, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to struggle to think about like, well, what if something happens? I don't have any, I don't have any room to move, but that is objectively the worst place to be when the sandbird turns. So mm. basically what they say to you as the player is, ha ha, gotcha, which didn't feel fun to me. Um, and like, and they make you wait. Like, it's not like the other seven coins are like specifically challenging. I mean, the whole, the whole point of the mission is you collect the seven coins on the bird. And then there's one on top of the tower when the sandbird finally goes all the way up the tower. So it's basically, yeah. can you survive the sandbird turning? And I don't, I don't like that because it's 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 lazy in a way that it makes you work for something that you didn't know you had to work for. And then when you figure it out, it's like kind of like it's it's generally pretty easy to to solve, you know, stay towards the center of the sandbird so that the motion isn't quite as intense and you can you know, flood and land on the sandbird when it's on its side and then flood back. But there's also, there's also one thing that, that really, that really bugged me about it. Um, One of the red coins is at the end of the bird's tail feathers, such as they are. That's the hard one. (laughs) And the whole challenge in getting that (laughs) coin is, can you walk a straight line? Which should never be considered a challenge in a platformer. So I'm going to just jump in real fast. But it is in that part. I'm going to part. come back to this point because... Yeah, there, there... but it shouldn't be. Can you walk a straight line is literally can you hold the thumbstick, so, which so, is just so annoying. Both of you all have had this idea throughout the Mario series of like, you don't like these platforms. You don't like these secret levels. You're goddamn level. right. This platformer but, should have but, fewer platforms. But I, what I, what I, what I really enjoy ever since we did uh, the last episode, I keep thinking about uh, Miyamoto's uh, Mario thesis, which is creating the sense of falling, and that's kind of his Mario thesis encapsulated. And I think every time I play a secret level, I'm gonna come back to this because I think they designed probably the best I've ever ever played. Is totally agree. you know, find find controls. Um, on top of a platform. And I, I don't mind that it's just one platform that's undulating. Um, but I think that the bird is, is just, you know, it, it's it's testing your fine motors, Mario's fine motor skills on the platform itself from preventing you from, from falling off the bird, which is very, very hard to do. So it's, it's a very easy thesis. I think it's applied very well in the bird, but that's all I'll say for right now because I, I, I want to save the full argument for um serena or not serena beach um peanut parks platform which is uh, 
it's a work of art. Yeah, I yes, agree, Anthony, an because I, I have, I have, a, I have a, a I have a lot more thoughts on this this week, but I agree we can table that for a minute. I'll just say, and I actually see your point, Ben, with the Sandbird, where it's like there's only one really specifically difficult part to it. I think maybe I didn't feel that way as much because I was so focused on getting these blue coins, and so there it felt like there was a more natural no. distribution of the challenge because of that throughout that Sandbird yeah. mission. Now, now, yeah, having not done the blue coin challenge, uh, like trying to collect all the blue coins, I can see how that would be a much more intriguing level. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, I guess my complaint is that the specific challenge they ask you to do to progress is uh, easy at first, hard at the end, and then you have to do it all over again when you inevitably fail, as we all did multiple times. So yeah. it, it starts to feel frustrating, but with the blue coins included, I can see how that's a much more compelling level. Yeah. I, I loved it and I love I actually I liked going down the tail. It was difficult, but I also I think that I was also just marveling at how effective the like feeling of Mario on this giant flexing object was. There's a reason most platformers cool. don't have flexing platforms. It's because it's a nightmare to keep track <laughs> of the contact points for the character on them. So I, I was also Absolutely. just impressed by that, that they managed to, like, he does feel like he might slip and slide a little bit, but in a way that's convincing um, for the for the character. The one last thing I want to mention about this level is I love the mirror slam. That reminds me of the bully fights a little bit. Of It's just like this very physically mm. oh, satisfying yeah. action mm-hmm. to do. Um, yeah. So I loved those as well. So fun. I would like to bring up uh, that just the effect of like those those essentially well i mean they're mirrors i was going to say solar panels but they're obviously not solar panels but it's so clear like the mirror effect is so clear and it's so good and i don't know if you guys have ever noticed this but like in most modern games mirrors don't work because the technique for rendering graphics uh called rasterization does not allow for mirrors. You need ray tracing for that. Otherwise, you need some very, very clever programming trickery. And the fact that they just do it so casually, they don't even draw attention to it. They just do it so casually. and It's so beautiful. You don't even have like a hitch in the frame rate when it just happens to pop into view. Like that was incredible. I, I didn't I, notice it uh, I, I did notice ever that before bit. when I was just playing it here. But man, I did, it's so y- cool. And you're 100% right that like most of the APIs that... Um, are functioning now like it's such a big deal that ray tracing can be done on the gpu at all so i was very curious how they did it back then or or i don't know maybe they had like a dual world type implementation i have no idea no i think they actually had those um as like slightly down resed like display within a display and then they had cameras pointing out from the center of the mirrors so you were essentially getting uh, a half rendered version of the world yeah, being that's, displayed that's, on top of like being displayed as a texture. That's pl- that's plausible. And since it was all most, it's, since it's mostly blue, mm-hmm. uh, and it's mostly a monocolor, it's not that you know intensive. So, did you want to keep talking about uh, the mirrors? Yeah. Well, I'll just uh, say I, I, I think. Yeah, I think we've said enough. I noticed that first actually in in uh, in the water. In the first couple of levels, I was like, oh, wow, they're, they're really kind of nailing this. And it's not just like a screen space, like rasterization reflection. Like I can see Mario's animations upside down here. So 
Yeah, I noticed the same yeah, thing, Ben. That's I'm, so I'm cool. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to. I I have no idea exactly what approach. Your approach sounds maybe plausible, but it's just, it's really, it's a difficult problem because if they just did like another viewpoint, then it would have like angular problems. So it seems like there must be something else going on there. I'm just not sure what. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. It was probably just a single programmer working on that problem. Uh, And I would, I would love, 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 love to know how they solved it. It looks because, like ray tracing because they're like, doing that's they're, so incredible. It really does, but it's it, obviously not possible on the GameCube. Well, I don't know for sure that it's. We can talk about this more later. I don't know for sure that it's not because a lot of the reason that you didn't see ray tracing, um, the the reason that it's such a big thing right now is because all the APIs didn't support it as hardware accelerated. So you would have had to do it on CPU. So it's not technically impossible. Well, right, right, right. No, Go it's ahead. not technically impossible, but sixty frames a second. Is no, impossible. No, no, or, but the game, I guess the game, game isn't. It would have been it's thirty. thirty. It's thirty, and it was inter, it was interlaced too. It was but a still, scale. yeah, but still, yeah. yeah. I know, I know, it was interlaced, but no, no, still. I mean, that was. I mean, if that was a simple thing to do, then Nintendo breaking that particular barrier of, I mean, hell, even even low res uh, CPU yeah. based ray tracing way the hell back then. I mean, we would see that in a lot more games. You would, you would, you would. There would be no mirror problem today if it was that easy to crack. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. It's an interesting question. Well, whoever did that, I don't know. They deserve a medal or at least a cuddle from somebody. (laughs) I don't know much about that stuff, but I did notice that one of the Delfinos is some brown guy. Which oh, made yeah. me question if like all the Delfinos were like actually Caribbean folk in costumes. No, I, I don't think so. So I was just like, I think he's I, just I like just very, he's, he's got to be a guy. He's got to be a guy from like New Donk City in Odyssey, <laughs> who's just taking one of the weirdest vacations of his life. I guess, like, but he's, I, he's, I, he's a I, real like strange kind of cosplayer who's just like want to go for a run, buddy. I don't know. He, I feel like he belongs in it. I feel like there's something else going on with the design of the Delfinos, but I do, I just like a good, I just like a good race. I love, I love the Mario races. I can't wait to see him again. I know we're, yeah. I'm, we're going to meet. So <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. All one. right. Is there anything else on gelato beach? Uh, I actually on gelato beach. I'm, it's, it's a little thing, but this was actually the most fun I had chasing down shadow Mario. Mm. Uh, Cause he kept kind of a, kind of a tight pattern. And uh, it really involved a lot more like semi-advanced platform mechanics. Uh, mechanics like you had to wall jump a lot, and you had to. I I just had, I just had a lot of fun hunting down Shadow Mario, which in the past couple levels felt like a little bit of a chore since it's sort of inconsistent whether or not your water hits him. This one I had a lot of fun, so that was cool. And it kind of like teaches you what to do. Yes, I I chased him down the first time, and I yeah, that's that's and also then, um, really cool. The second time, I just realized I can just run up the hill the other way mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, so I was just like, fuck it. But I, I see it, your point. Yeah. Uh, so, well, that was my last little thought about about that beach. All right. So our next level is Peanut Park. In between uh, Gelato Beach and Peanut Park, we realized that Princess Peach is captured um, once again. Uh, so Mario, uh, you know, needs to run, 
And to go save her, she ba- you basically come to this cannon, which shoots you to Pina Park. We d- kind of discussed what happens, but we'll just recap re- recap real fast. This is the first shine. Uh, you know, you're, you get to the park almost immediately. You're confronted um, by the plot. It unfolds, which I explained in Baby Bowser. Um, this boss battle was, was great. Um, it, if you all played... Uh, Kingdom Heart, the newest Kingdom Hearts. There is a boss battle with um, the Titan Titans. Uh, it's very similar. So you're just on this roller coaster, on a little little roller coaster, and you're fighting against this boss. And you know, just the simulation of being on this roller coaster and firing stuff and getting fired at um, from the roller coaster itself was really satisfying. You of fire. course, when that's when that's done. Um, you can continue with the story or you can continue playing the inside the level, which has um, a lot of different quirks. Um, basically, another part of this level, you get to unlock uh, Yoshi, so to speak, um, which we'll kind of talk about after the level. Um, and then uh, you have a few more shines that incorporate the amusement park. And you have a shine where you go inside um, this cannon that's firing... Uh, bullet bills at you, which are just uh, the design is just so good. You've got a then he starts firing um, kind of pseudo bombs that are kind of clocks, and you throw them at this gopher, and you hop inside the <laughs> cannon, and it's a whole secret world, which is also insane, and it's very tough to beat. Um, so th- this this level as well, I just I just had so much fun exploring and 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 and. Get collecting every shine. It was just really, just really a, a good time. Yeah, this has absolutely unequivocally been my favorite level so far. I, I just, I, 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 I I'm just gonna keep. I, 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 <laughs> Mario in an amusement park. Why have we never seen that before? That's such a good idea. Like it's such a good idea, and it's just man, they they nailed it. Like. The level design is intuitive. You always know where you are. You never feel lost. The individual shines. Um, I, I know we were talking about how uh, like it's not always the greatest thing that you know level progression is locked behind getting each shine in order mm-hmm. in this game as opposed to Mario 64. But I actually think it really, really works well in this level specifically because it sort of feels like Every time you Agreed. hop in the cannon to shoot back to Pina Park, you're going to ride a different ride. And that's mm-hmm. like, that's so cohesive and so, so just fun. Like, what am I going to do this time? I just loved it. I loved it. And it's very, very clear that Nintendo has never made a shooter before, except Splatoon. <laughs> but obviously, Splatoon's you know, good. when they made Sunshine, they hadn't made Splatoon yet. Correct. But boy, they tried. And... kind of succeeded yeah i uh i actually was not as crazy about the roller coaster fight i i mean it it, it's fun and i love the big mecha bowser it it i just kind of felt like there wasn't that much to it it's just you know it's an on-rail sequence which most of those kind of rely on the spectacle but i didn't feel like bowser was doing that much and so it just kind of felt a little um i wished i just wished it expected more of me i just was kind of aiming around 
Although I did still love just the spectacle of the scene and seeing this giant Mecha Bowser in the park. But I'm very glad to hear that you guys feel the same way about like the environment as I do, because I was reading online. I, I was, you know, kind of looking at what some people thought of some of these levels as well. And uh, there seems to be... Cheater. Well, it's not cheating. I was just... <laughs> well, I, I did write down most of what they said, and I'm just going to repeat it verbatim. But... Um, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to find my opinion. I didn't Cheaterous. want to have it. I just wanted to find it. Um, <laughs> That's no. right. <laughs> uh, no, but it's too much uh, effort to think. I'll just read it. <laughs> a lot of people seem to have some pretty negative opinions <laughs> of this place, which I, I was kind of sad by because I. This is definitely in terms of the platforming. This is my favorite level so far in this game by a lot, and the reason mm, is because. Me too. Uh, there's a lot more forcing Mario to, and this it kind of goes for Sunshine in general, but it's very, very pertinent for this level. That there's a lot more of forcing Mario to interact with a semi-believable space, and it forces you to really analyze the environment. Uh, there aren't as many huge platforms screaming "You must jump on me" in this level as there are in a lot of Mario levels, and I really like that because, for example, when you're going up the the, the back to do the Ferris wheel mission where the Ferris wheel is out of control and then you um, and then you kill that thing that's making the Ferris wheel go out of control and then it slows down and the shine appears on top you're like oh I guess I have to ride this Ferris wheel but it doesn't really look like a Mario platform it just kind of looks like a Ferris wheel <laughs> so there's something particularly exciting about like jumping onto this thing that it kind of feels like you're not supposed to and I feel that way about the yeah. ships too where um the, the when they spin around um it really kind of feels like you shouldn't be on them but you can kind of like find an angle where you can just barely make it work and there's these blue coins that are like way up that you kind of have to jump off of the top of this ship while it's spinning to get to them and it's really exciting to do that i thought the red coin challenge in this level was exceptional for that reason where it's like you really have to thoroughly explore this space that doesn't necessarily feel like it's explicitly designed for mario you just have to find a way to use his skills to make it work um so i really really enjoyed the platforming i still really like the fences i think they're fun to run around um but i think the fact that the space does not feel like it was obviously designed and like you really have to look around and figure like, how am I going to get up the back of this thing? I, and you just have to think about it. Like maybe I could like jump off of that and float over there. So I really appreciated that about the design here is that I felt like I was really looking at the environment and trying to figure out how I was going to get somewhere. Um, so I think that that was really, really successful about this level in particular. So uh, re like real quick before, uh, before I let Anthony talk, because shut up, Anthony. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> uh, you were talking about the the uh, the Ferris wheel shine, where you have to stop the weird electric turtle that I'm not sure has ever actually come up before in any Mario game or since. Anyway, uh, one of the things I love so much about this level is that I found out that you don't have to go up the back of it. Uh, I just kind of you know, finangled my way up onto essentially the roller coaster and skipped the whole, you know, fence climbing <laughs> thing. I nice. didn't actually realize that that was there until after I had gotten the shine. I thought it was supposed to be like a much more freeform platforming challenge. And then I was like, oh shit, that's incredible that it let me do that anyway. Like yeah. there were no like 
you know, checkpoint flags or anything to stop me from doing it. I just kind of, I just kind of did it. I just kind of floated over through like the Ferris wheel, you know, the carousel carriages and was like, I hope they don't hit me and I don't have to start all over again. <laughs> I, I thought that was really cool that it, that it just like didn't care that I did it a totally wrong way. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think, I think um, we've talked about this, uh, especially in 64 where a lot of stars shines, you know, um, you don't have to do anything any type of way, which makes the, the, whole experience is liberating right mm-hmm. but there's still a challenge to do most of those things i i think what i like so going to so you're talking about the ferris wheel the pirate ships and the roller coaster um i thought that you know the designers were thinking about like how you know if i was a kid how would you imagine being on these these objects? You know, because if you like think about being on a roller coaster, you think about like how you would like interact with it differently, or you know, I don't I don't know if you've ever been like on a especially um, I don't even know what it's called the twirly whirl that that mm-hmm. sort of ride where it spins you, but then you can like walk as the whole platform is being spun. I don't know if you've ever been to like a real amusement park and have done that sort of ride. Lakeside has it. No, I've we're, we're from Denver, parks. by the way. Um, and so, you know, I just really loved that part because, you know, even as an adult, I'm just like, well, what if I like shifted my body this way a little bit, or if I stepped somewhere I shouldn't as the ride is, is going on, I do that because I think about it when I'm already having a a thrilling experience. So I, I did like how they did that. Um, I'd want to get to kind of the last shine because for me, this is. Because I, I, I have been telling you all just this, like just my favorite part of Sunshine or just playing Mario in general, just like the pure platform elephant element. And like this, the I think it's the last shine or maybe it's not um, where you have to uh, run on the beach, clear these bullet bill obstacles, kill this gopher inside of the cannon and then hop into this very difficult um, secret level. That's and the, the, the level itself is um, second shine. It's extre- second shine. It's extremely challenging. It reminds it reminds me of what I wanted um, Lethal Lava Land to be. Yeah. You, uh, go inside the volcano and you jump up. You you climb up. Right. It is challenging. It is fun. But this is just expands on all of these ideas that kind of we we talked about in '64. And I just you know I I just even in that secret level. There were so many challenges and puzzles and 3D puzzles and 3D mazes that you had to get to in order to to get the shine. So that that so far has probably been my favorite uh, challenge to accomplish. Remind me uh, of was what, what was in that secret level, uh, the one that you jump in the gopher cannon. Yeah, I didn't actually uh, play that one. Oh, um, so... If you jump in the gopher cannon, uh, what you do is... I'm sorry, it's can, kind we, of... can we all acknowledge how ridiculous the phrase gopher cannon is? <laughs> <laughs> Acknowledged. <laughs> so it, it's it's kind of designed, uh, you know, as a as a 64 Bowser level where there is a series of narrow platforms increasingly getting more difficult to the main objective. Um, number one, you're fighting those cute Goombas. I call them cute buzz in my head. Uh, and so you have to 
kind of kill them. And then there's another platform where there's flying Goombas. And you have okay. to jump on the flying Goombas to... Are, wait, are yeah. there actual Goombas in this game? I have not seen they're, a Goomba they're, yet. They're like cute Goombas. They're, they're like, yeah. I don't know what to call them. No, they're, they're, I, no, they're like, I, I think of them, they're Delfino Goombas. They're like the local... Yeah. They're like, you know, you have like Ooh, coyotes. Buzz. No, no, it's like, you, it's like you have a coyote in Colorado and a dingo in Australia, you know? <laughs> like, these are the local flavor of Goomba. <laughs> Can we call them Delfumbas? I like Delfumbas. I like Delfumbas too. So you're, you're, ho- you're hopping on Delfumbas. You've got a, a wall jump, and then you've got to navigate this decaying sand yes. platform, which is insane. And then you have to go through a 3D um, uh, vertical maze um, to this rotating uh, bolt. Yeah, that you, you have to run along to the bolts. Whatever yeah. creator god you believe in, that you don't die, and you can't believe that it's that you've made it this far. Um, I believe in Ungoroth, the uncreator, so I find that quite offensive. <laughs> anyway, if you two haven't played it, I would recommend just playing that shine. Well, I, I have played that one, and I was, it sounds like a blast. I was going to say, that is that is by far my favorite secret level. The one with the decaying sand, where you just have to like keep moving, and it's like challenging to to and and if you stop like sometimes you stop and you're like all right i gotta focus and then you have to jump because it's decayed too much and it, it's that was definitely my favorite of the secret shines by quite a bit uh, i have more thoughts on those that i'll probably save until we're going into the last uh, level but that one i agree is incredibly successful and it's what i wish more of them were like i don't think they're all like that I know, I know, Luke. That you didn't. You, I mean, you don't care for the genre of rotating squares in those floodless secret levels. I, but I actually find those to an- be really enjoyable. I'm not anti-rotate. Okay, well, let's just get into it now because I think that now is as good a time as any. You're anti-rotator. <laughs> You're an anti-rotator. You're an I- anti-rotate. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, I'll, st- I'll say something really quick that I, I actually discovered this week that I was having some pretty significant problems with Joy-Con drift. So Mario is sometimes oh, moving. You? Yeah. Mario mm. is sometimes moving to the left and I'm not yeah. like more. So I'm having right. some control frustration. So I'm trying to not hold the game responsible for that when I occasionally feel like I actually went back and played Odyssey and realized like, oh, this feels way worse than the last time I played Odyssey. So I think it's Boy, I affecting the game. That. Yeah, I, it's mm-hmm. very annoying. But um, so I'm trying to not hold the game too accountable for that. However, I, I found as time went on that I'm not actually probably only like 30 or 40% of these secret levels am I dying over and over again uh, Again, on. Most of them I'll finish within two or three deaths. I just find, honestly, when I, when I thought about these things, when I was going back into Sunshine, this is something that really stands out in my mind, is these secret levels where Shadow Mario steals your flood, and they're these super hard levels, and I remember them being this thing I loved about the game when I was a kid. And honestly, I, I now when I'm playing them, they just make me feel like I'm playing a worse Mario 64. <laughs> I just feel like Mario 64 did these types of challenges so much better, um, where you're in these big voided spaces and you have to like very quickly make snap decisions or land on these strangely shaped objects. 
Um, and there are exceptions. For example, Anthony, you brought up the one with the, this decaying platform. And when you have to jump on the Delfumba's, the flying Delfumba's heads to get across, <laughs> I think that section is really, really well done. I think that there are a couple other ones where the rotating cubes there are really fast, and so you have to like triple jump across them, and those are really satisfying. But a lot of them don't really feel that imaginative. They're just like reusing the same objects that they've been using in the other secret levels and making them rotate slightly different ways. I disagree. I, I think you, I, I, I just feel like each secret level has been a little different and stuff either capitalizes on the previous one or you don't see it again. For example, the one before this level, um, or is it the? No, Wait, I can't even which, remember. Which one was the one before this level? Because most sorry. levels have two. Yeah. It, sorry, I might even getting be getting this confused, but I believe it's the one with the disappearing platforms. Yeah. You've got yeah, to time yeah. how uh, fast or high you need to jump before the other ones before it disappears. I think that's one of and the that good one ones. Actually, I, I agree. That's one of the good that was my favorite yeah. one. Yeah, they've 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 been good. And I, I would say you're going to see a lot more of them in Galaxy. So that's why I'm yeah. excited for oh, man. Galaxy. Looking forward. Honestly, there's, it's there's, my favorite part of Mario. There's a ton of those in Mario Odyssey, and I love them in Super Mario Odyssey. I just feel like too many of these secret levels are just like using the same... Or even the, the Yoshi one, where it's just like these floating Yoshi blocks. I just... It doesn't feel very imaginative to me, and I just feel like this game is way more... Because when I think of Galaxy and when I think of Odyssey, they have these same kind of underground secret level spaces, but they always design them to use what's interesting about that game's mechanics. And Mario Sunshine does the exact opposite thing, where you have this flood, and you could be using it to create these really interesting and difficult secret levels, but instead you're taking it away from me, and you're giving me this version of Mario that can do less than the version of Mario in Mario 64, and I just don't find them, except when they have a really unique design idea for them, a lot of times I just find them to be like, oh, more rotating long things, cool. I guess I'll do this again. <laughs> but there are there, <laughs> more I, solid half of them. Things. That's a good there album are, name. <laughs> I will, are, I will continue to be pro rotator. <laughs> and uh, I will continue I would, to uh, be smart to the anti rotators in this I would, podcast. I would, real quick, I would love to offer a counterpoint to that. Uh, in that, uh, you, you, you were saying, Luke, that you wish that they had not taking your flood away so they could offer like really intense platforming challenges based on the control they give you with the flood. Yes. Now I agree a hundred percent that they should not uh, take away Mario's main floodless mobility, or, or I guess his, his main version of mobility is the flood. What I wish is that you had some additional moves from Mario 64, like, like the long yeah. jump, for instance, mm. Uh, when you didn't have the flood on your back, it would make sense in game. You don't have the flood; you can you can jump farther. I think that would have been good, but the flood controls a little imprecisely, and most of the time, like especially when you're using like the hover nozzle, mm -hmm. uh, I feel like a lot of the time when you have to do that in a platforming challenge, it's to stop for a second and reset and then move again. It's not yes. like a smooth, continuous motion. So I feel like designing really really difficult platforming challenges around the flood would have been more frustrating than rewarding maybe but, but i do mario but what himself I will say, controls so uh, well 
go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. What I will say is that I, I'm, I'm okay with them taking away the flood when they have a really good reason to. For example, the, the dissolving sand. I liked that challenge because yeah. they've taken away this thing that you're used to using to fudge. They've taken the flood away, and they're like, you just got to deal with this now. And so I think that that's effective. Same with the disappearing platforms. I think that's an effective reason to do it. And I guess, to be fair, in a lot of the secret levels, they're trying to do that. I just think some of them are less interesting than others. Um, and, you know, I totally that's, the end of, that. that's the end of my piece on that. All right. Uh, so let's move on to Serena Beach. Um, I am not actually done with it. So if someone wants to introduce it, um, you can go for it. So I haven't actually finished Serena Beach either, but allow me to talk out of my ass. Go ahead. Luke, take it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I, okay. So, uh, yeah, let me introduce it. So this is a level that you find where, um, have you guys found the level? I don't want to spoil oh, yeah. anything for you. If you oh, yeah, well, yeah, we got the level. I was okay. a little bugged that I had to look up how to get the pineapple out of the pipe. Because I was Yoshi. like, oh, I got to do Yoshi. But I was apparently too close for Yoshi to actually eat the pineapple. Oh. So I spent like 20 minutes being like, what the fuck do I do? And then I just had to back <laughs> up a couple of you know distance units and then do the exact same thing. Like, come on. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, anyway, but basically. Come on. Right <laughs> come on. Come on. Basically. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. Who can do a good Joe Pesci? Then maybe that's Podcast five. <laughs> Us three guys just saying come on for well, let, I'll see okay. if we can. Uh, I'll see if we can. I'll, I'll see if we can get Joe Pesci for next time to do a soundbite for us. Yeah, great. That'd be great. Yeah, I agree. I think he'll say yes. Go but, ahead, Luke. Um, Go ahead, Luke. <laughs> so you discover this level by. Come uh, on. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> you have to unlock Yoshi first of all, which involves chasing down Shadow Mario in the main hub area after you've unlocked him in Pina Park, and then after you tackle him, he. Uh, unlocks this egg that will be uh, on, I think it's on a rooftop somewhere, and you have to bring Yoshi the correct fruit, and then you can ride Yoshi. Uh, we'll talk about I Yoshi more in a few minutes, I think. Um, but after you unlock Yoshi, you go on top of this other rooftop, rooftop where there's this giant pineapple plugging a pipe, and you eat the pineapple as Yoshi, and then you go in this pipe, and you're immediately greeted by this Wait, calm... you don't plug your ass with a pineapple? You don't know. You just eat the I pineapple. You do this. <laughs> I thought it was a little normative on Mario's part to just eat the pineapple, but uh, anyway. So you <laughs> this is going off the rails. Anyway, so you end up in this uh, area called Serena Beach, which immediately, as soon as you land there, all you see is all this blue green sludge everywhere. So your first instinct is, oh, I'm going to clean up some of this sludge. And my first thoughts as I was landing in that area is. Oh, I think this is my favorite song so far in this game. There's this very peaceful sort of half-note shaker going on and this really drifty Give sort of the, music. You got all thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, real yeah, quick. Yeah, so... Uh, it, uh, not to... Uh, I know we said we're going to get to Yoshi later, but I have one little thing that I love. I don't actually care that much for Yoshi in general in this game. He seems more like an afterthought than an actual integrated gameplay piece. But I love, love, I love, love when you get on Yoshi that uh, they offer like the nice little like pop uh, of like, like congas over mm -hmm. the main theme of whatever you're listening to. That yeah. is such a good touch. And I love it so much. I agree. That is anyway. awesome. 
Yeah, so just uh, in, uh, to continue uh, introducing Serena Beach. So first of all, just the music here I think is super effective. It's got this sort of dreary town with this occasional notes of piano coming in, but it's mostly like this sort of pad synth and these light guitars and this shaker drilling. I've, I've coined it as is is haunted yacht rock. <laughs> yeah, it's phenomenal. I yeah. want more music like this. I adore that. I adore I- that genre that you just created. <laughs> yacht rock haunted yacht rock but it's uh it's immediately rock. you get in this area and you're like oh this is an interesting sort of beach atmosphere and everybody's kind of acting a little tired and the sun is setting and you're cleaning it up and you immediately find like oh this electric goo damages me it's not like the other goo where i get some free time in it like i'm immediately damaged if i touch it so i got to make sure to not touch it and eventually you're trying to figure out what to do and you just talk to this guy who's in front of this large vacant space and he tells you that there's this monster that's been spreading all this green blue yellow slime everywhere and then he says oh it's coming back and you just see this ghost of a manta ray coming up through the beach towards you it just looks like this shadow on the (laughs) ground and it's leaving all this electric sludge in its wake and you're like uh how do i fight that thing so um i'll go into my thoughts now now that it's introduced i think that the first boss in this game is my favorite mario boss up to this entire point in the series i absolutely love this damn i found that so frustrating that manta ray i didn't oh i loved i loved it i loved it continue luke i loved it Yes. So it, first of all, in terms of the design, again, this is an example of it introduces you to this hazard and you're just kind of experimenting with it in a relatively safe environment where you realize like, oh, I can't touch this stuff. This is not like normal sludge. It will damage me if I touch it at all. But you you obviously can wash it up in the normal way that you can with any other sludge. So it gives you time to adjust. And then what it does is it introduces this giant manta ray and you're just like trying to figure out what to do. So you spray it and then you see that it splits. And so it's immediately obvious what's going on here. This thing is going to keep splitting, but you don't realize how much it's going to split. And then it splits into a bajillion of these little things. And what I love about that fight... What I love about it is that it's to me, it's the perfect platforming boss because it's like you have this enemy who's intriguing and weird that you're fighting. But the actual substance of the fight is that 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 boss is making the environment that you're supposed to navigate dangerous. So it's not a fight in the same way that a lot of games have fights. It's a fight in the sense that your main action as Mario is navigation. And he's rendering the navigation space dangerous. But what's awesome is that the hover pack is the same as the firing pack for Mario. So you actually end up fighting this boss using the hover pack. And it's at the same time making the ground safe for you again while you're also fighting this thing. And I just think that's such a cool design. Uh, and it's 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 a long fight and it's difficult. And as you keep... And this is, again, this is, to me, this is how you use the flood in a way that's interesting to make it difficult. So I just think it was so effectively designed and it's such an interesting idea for a fight. And I love how at the end they start heat seeking towards you. So it's not just tedious to chase them all down. I think it was really effectively done. So, uh, first of all, I would like to say that, uh, Luke is wrong moving on. So I, I think for me, I don't know if that's a huge statement to say it's the best Mario boss up until this point. But it's a really good Mario boss, and I think because it's a novel concept, I don't think I've ever fought a shadow in a game before. 
you know, it probably has existed. Uh, so, you know, creating something threatening that doesn't exist um, necessarily is just really novel. Um, and I really like that. I felt like uh, Hercules uh, in the Disney version where he's fighting the Hydra. Because uh, I was just like, every time you you uh, kill a shadow and two pop up and then all of a sudden there's there had to be at least what 50 on the screen yeah, at a given least. time um i didn't use the hover pack once um oh, cool. i actually I didn't consider that the, as a tactic right i yeah, i used the the flood nozzle um and just used the coins that are around the area to replenish my health because it it just it, i agree with you the challenge is navigation and creating pathways and as pathways close um but I thought in general, you know, the 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 atmosphere that's created um, in this boss battle uh, was just very, uh, you know, novel and fighting the, the multiples, the use of multiples in this level specifically, because you see the use of multiples again and again and again in this level is brilliant. And I'll just make another comment uh, since you introduced the level. Uh, the lighting is fucking phenomenal. Mm, uh, yeah. Like this lighting is just an impressive artistic feat to oh, yeah. accomplish absolutely um where the light becomes shadows the saturation they do something that's very interesting um with it and it's like in this twilight zone um it, it's just really an amazing uh you know uh introduction to the level itself i i totally agree uh i think it's been made clear at this point that i sort of disliked this fight <laughs> Although uh, it was interesting, and I had not actually considered it until you said, Luke, that this is not so much a boss fight as it is uh, like a dynamic platforming challenge. And I am looking at it in a new light now because that's that's a really interesting take, and that's very much what it actually wound up being. I don't particularly like fights of attrition. Uh, that that games tend to do sometimes, and and this this kind of felt like that to me. Maybe that's just me. It's probably just it's usually me. It's you. It's me. it's always been you. It's gotta be me. It's always been. It's always been me. It's gonna be you. Well, it's oh, it's no. interesting it's that you guys didn't you didn't ever use the hover pack because that to me changed the whole dynamic of the fight. I didn't I was even do- consider it. I, I was didn't doing even consider what- it. I was doing what you were doing, Anthony, where I was just kind of like, oh, shit, there's so many of them. I got to hunker down and, like, defend my grounds. And that's what I was doing, and that was a lot of fun. But then at some point, I was just like, there's too many, and I can't aim well enough. Um, So then I started getting on rooftops and trying to shoot down from the rooftop, but then they would, like, come up there, too, and... Uh, and so it's just very hazardous. And, and, and then at some point I like needed to escape and I put on the hover pack and I saw it like damage one of the manta rays. And I was like, oh, oh, I just and I, I love and that. That moment well, is so satisfying to me because it's it's you you are fulfilling the promise of your mechanical design when you do that. This thing shoots. Water. I was I was so sure you were going to say fulfilling the prophecy. Oh, well, that too. Luke, the prophecy of a. You are fulfilling but... the prophecy. <laughs> the prophecy according to a. The prophecy of the rocketeer. I'm walking here. <laughs> I wish. That's I right. honestly. I wish there was a Rizzo toggle Ratso. that would allow that would allow Mario to talk it. that way for an hour. Like, oh, first of all, we never mentioned this, but when you hit <laughs> when you hit those little fire things, 
And Mario grabs his butt and he goes, Mama! <laughs> He's so loud. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely my favorite sound I've heard him make. <laughs> oh my god, that is so fucking funny. But it would be awesome if you really could either have the, that, by the way. if you could have the Mario who yells Mama or the Mario goes, Hey, I'm fucking walking here while he grabs his ass. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> It's weird. The use of Mama in this game, whether it's from Mario, Peach, or Baby Bowser, it's just weird. It's, like, uncomfortable. It's, saying Mama is just uncomfortable. When he says Mama Mia, that's cute. That's, like, Mama you know, like, Mia. You know, Peach, where, like, I'm your mama or mama. It's just, there's something weird about that. Daddy told me that you were very mean to Mama. <laughs> um... I guess we got a little bit sidetracked. I will describe the, <laughs> the rest of the level, and then Luke, you can talk about what you beat in the level. Yes. So uh, when you beat the manta ray, uh, basically uh, the manta ray is preventing um, the uh, Delfino Hotel to be uh, constructed. I guess it, it resurrects, and it's actually a haunted Boo Hotel with a bunch of challenges that are inside the Boo Hotel uh, itself. Um, so, you know, you go through the Boo Hotel and there's mazes, there's coins, there's, uh, uh, you know, Yoshi's within the Boo Hotel. So a lot of what you do in this level is inside of that hotel as well. Um, so uh, at, the, at least the, sh the shine that I got um, was the secret level shine. Mm -hmm. But I just liked the fact that the Boo's, when you hit them, the pink Boo's, they turn into steps and you, cr yeah. you can create your own Boo ladder and yeah, that yeah. is fucking phenomenal. That's it's, super it's a cool. real that was a real clever um move on on their part cuz I was just like I would have never thought of this in a million years. Yeah, I, I, I really feel like I as I'm playing this I really feel like most of the most inventive game mechanics that exist in Mario Sunshine are like the least talked about. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone focuses so much on the flood and yay yoshi's back they're but, fools but yeah they really had some like incredible side mechanics like mm -hmm. you know movable things that the main character can attach to like the sandbird or mm. like make your own platform in the boo hotel like that's really cool and it works so well especially for a first attempt mm -hmm. and i i feel like that's forgotten yeah, I, I, I definitely, I, I was thinking when I fought the Manta Ray, I was thinking like, you know, at the beginning of this game, you think the whole game is kind of going to be you're fighting paint, and it's not. Like, mm. uh, they, they they really, they introduce Occasionally that. it's electric yeah. paint. Yeah, they, they introduce it, and they get you comfortable with it, and but they don't overuse it. They, they, they introduce it. They use it sometimes, Agreed. and then they think, like, what else can we do with this projectile thing that Mario now has? And they focus more on that. And one of the things they think is, like, what if you water these pink boos? You can turn them into platforms. And um, it's also one of those self-created challenges where I could create very simple steps that I could jump up one by one. Or if I'm pretty good, I could just hit one of them and then do a triple jump. And it's I think Mario is really excellent at that mm -hmm. kind of thing, where it's just, like... Always. It's a sandbox, and like you can make it as challenging or simple as you want by how you're engaging with the mechanics, and I, I think that that's really well done. I'm really sad, you guys. Uh, I don't did, have you guys done the maze one yet? 
The Maze. No, no, I haven't. Oh, it's so good. Uh-uh. I, I want to talk about it a lot more, but I actually really don't want to spoil it because if I tell you, it'll it'll spoil it. But um, but how, well, we'll how about we can do? How about we can do this? How about we do this? We introduce the level. Um, I think it's fine to stop, and we sure. can uh, give a full re- a conclusion, conclusive review, very briefly next time. Um, but yeah, in general, so far what I've played, it's just. And I actually also cheated a little bit. This is a, a fan favorite of Sunshine. And I could, oh, I could yeah. see why. It no, has, there's so much more. Um, just <laughs> so many. There's just so many qualities already that I'm yeah. just like, this is what I wish. This level is what I wish a level would have been like in Super Mario 64. This of is course, what I wish Boo's Mansion was in Super Mario 64. Yeah, yeah. it's exactly. Yeah, you know, the, the, the space and the challenges are maximized. Boo's and, Mansion and a lot of those middle levels of 64, they're like sometimes are very hollow. Yeah. Some yeah. like a giant warehouse that you're running around. But, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's, it was good. And then... Okay. So we're going to go into our uh, thoughts for this week. Uh, we are going to recap. Uh, kind of our, our macro thoughts on the three levels and the plot so far um, in Super Mario Sunshine. So what I thought is that these three levels were so well designed. Um, there's a lot of novel concepts that are introduced that aren't tacky. Um, they're challenging. Um, and I could definitely see myself replaying a lot of these challenges later uh, just because of um, the concept uh, that went with them. Uh, I think I agree with Luke. The music has gotten better, especially in Serena Beach. It's, it's phenomenal on how they're integrating, you know, this upbeat island, um, you know, uh, music that's been in the game so far with this hauntedness. And it's just a great atmosphere that's created. The plot is bonkers. I think we're collectively just going to really ignore it and not hammer it. It's a Mario game. It's a platforming game, and that's why we're here. But I am curious to see how Baby Bowser's going to continue to justify <laughs> Princess Peach being his mother. I don't know how that's going <laughs> to unfold, but I would give this— 23 and me, bro. I, I mean, I would just give the game so far, uh, this mid-game— just you know 10 out of 10 it's been just extremely satisfying to to play through each and every of these shines and and i and i am very excited to see how the game uh concludes yeah um so my big takeaway is it does and this is something i think i'm going to mention more next week because there's an additional mechanic we didn't talk about in one of the levels that we're going to talk about more but it does an amazing I'm just so impressed at at some of the design ideas here that I'm noticing them because I'm paying very specific attention to them, but I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily notice. It does this really good job of introducing uh, a mechanic or an idea for a level in a really safe environment or in an innocuous way that you're not really thinking too much about, and then it expects you to leverage that later. Uh, this is something it does great. So the inflatable plants in uh, Gelato Beach you find that and it's this fun thing and then all of a sudden it matters when you're fighting this wiggler boss of like, 
and you get to have that satisfying feeling of putting two and two together without the game really drawing attention to it. So it really feels like a discovery that you had. Um, additionally, the ground, um, uh, the manta ray boss, uh, it does a similar thing where you uh, can water it and then you immediately discover like this this is uh i need to be careful about this because it's not like normal goo so you kind of get the lay of the land and then as soon as you're actually introduced to the boss and you see what it's doing you immediately understand there's this immediate visceral understanding of like oh this is what this fight is going to mean and there are more examples than just that but i think consistently throughout uh the experience i think that that's what it is proving to do extremely well um Last week I said that it is a little bit more explicitly tutorialized earlier on than Mario 64, and that's true, where they definitely sit you down and say, press the R button to squirt your water gun, or do this to do that. There is some explicit tutorialization earlier on, but I also think the way that it starts introducing new things later is very, very clever. Uh, and it really, there's one specific one that I want to talk about, but I don't want to spoil it, and so we'll talk about it next week, where it really feels like it allows you to figure something out that feels very strange or obtuse, uh, or that was my perception. Um, the sand uh, dividing secret level where you have time jumps on enemies' head is my favorite. Uh, this was one of my big takeaways, Anthony, so I'm glad that you mentioned that one. I think I am still mixed on many of the secret levels. I think half of them are really excellent. I think some of them feel a little phoned in to me so far. I'm interested to see on how that evolves throughout the rest of the game. Um, in terms of the story, I, I, I agree that a lot of it I'm, I'm kind of just like laughing at. It's silly. I, I agree that I don't want it to be... I'm not looking for something profound, but I do think that in the other ones, they keep you kind of grinning, and you're like, this is cute, and I like it. In this one, a lot of times, I'm just like, this is so weird. I don't know how to react to any of this. Um, but on the other hand, I, I, I think the world is really well-realized, and I think I love what they're doing with making the world feel very contiguous, but they really find ways to give each environment its own identity. So I'm, I'm very satisfied so far. Yeah, I really, really do love this set of levels. This was actually the most fun I've had during this whole project that we're doing was these three levels, especially mm. Peanut Park. I love Peanut Park. Mm. I really, really thought that uh, Gelato Beach was, I thought it was easy, except for the Sandbird. We've covered the Sandbird. I thought it was easy, but also really, really nice and relaxing. It mm -hmm. sort of felt like, you know, you got this introduction to the game and then it sort of softballed a level to you to be like, you are on an island paradise after all. That said, it's also a little frustrating that so much of, I mean, like you were saying, Luke, it's it's really cool that they have this, that they have this uh, like drive to make a truly contiguous space. But it's also a little frustrating that there isn't as much variety because of it. You know, it's all on Delfino Island, which just, it sort of begs the question, why aren't these levels just on Delfino Island? I, I mean, I know there's obviously, like, computer reasons why they couldn't just make the whole game, you know, one giant Mario Odyssey level, but it, mm. it does feel a little, like, if they were already going to have levels that you went into and then come out of and then go back into and then come out of hell i mean you're you're jumping into graffiti why not have something weird 
But this has also been, yeah, well, like I said earlier, one of the best Mario games that I've genuinely ever played. I, I'm actually having more fun my first time through these later levels of, of Sunshine than I had on some of the early levels of Odyssey, which is kind of strange, to be honest, because Mario specifically is such an iterative, you know, series that they, they, they build on the good ideas of the last Mario game and they sort of try and shed the bad ideas from the last Mario game. And they always introduce a new gimmick, uh, which is usually really quite fun. And I'm fully in the camp that Flood is fun. It's really strange that so few ideas that I've seen crop up in uh, in Sunshine have been carried over. Mm-hmm. Because, man, I got to tell you, I've really been having a blast. No, I, I agree with you, Ben. I actually, before uh, we had uh, our, our break, um, right now, and I do need to replay it, I also am liking it better than 64 and... I have held up 64 my whole life as one of the best games, and th- these past three levels are are are, are proving something. They're, they're really proving something. And I think the only thing is is that there's there were these critics out there, um, and, and of course, if you if you read on Sunshine like I did, and I'm sure you did, Luke, you know, you you just come across this, you know, this weird protection of 64 as a sacred. Mm-hmm object almost mm-hmm. and that's where the criticism comes from is that this game isn't as good as 64 so i mean number one it's a different game well, um, it's, so it's just like a I, weird I, thing I weird thing to say but i i do hear what you're saying of shedding um you know some of the the bad layers and improving um with some new uh novel designs and 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 gameplay and levels and i think it's been really successful so far but um yeah, uh, looks like we are almost out of time. Uh, so what I'll say is that next week we will conclude Super Mario Sunshine. Uh, but join us uh, in our coming weeks. After that, we will be reviewing Super Mario Galaxy, which I am quite excited for. It is such a great game. Um, and so thank you for turning in to the Super Palmer Brothers, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. This podcast was edited and mixed by Brianna Algren. Music was composed by Luke Randazzo. And of course, posted by myself, Anthony Cortez, Luke Randazzo, and Ben Scambos. If you liked this podcast and like to continue listening, you can find us on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast on most channels. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.